Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to a late July edition of the VanCast. Always Canuck stuff to talk about on this show. Look, sadly, we do not have juice again today because we probably could have told stories after last week's episode that was extremely well received, to say the least. We probably could have told another 90 minutes worth of stories. That's the longest VanCast since I've done this show with you. Oh, that's Uh, the longest VanCast ever. But juice was just so game. He was so good. There was no need to close it. Like we just we could have gone all night. Yeah, we could have. I, I kind of knew we were going in the wrong direction once he said he was sending my wife naked pictures or he had done that <laughs> years and years ago. He told he told me his wife Katie came in right when he said that and said, Stop that, would you please? So the, the wine had gone in a little too deep. But hey, uh good for Juice. Uh, obviously we we've both known him for a long time in in much different settings than that and uh we brought out as much as we could because everything else we probably could have told would just not have met any regulatory standards. Although I know that those things go a lot looser on podcasts than they do on actual radio or television. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was great. It was a great show and thanks to Juice for doing it. That was that was a ton of fun. And we'll try and well, you know, the guest in the live room thing despite the technical difficulties which delayed our start by half an hour um was awesome. And and I think we'll we got to try and do that again. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun and like I said we maybe one day in a year from now we'll get him back on if he <laughs> cuz we know he's got stories left. But listen, the Vancouver Canucks Drancer you know, they haven't had an overly busy offseason, but there have been some important moves. And because we really haven't had a chance to kind of get into the totality of their offseason to this point, we figured this would be a good time to do that. Um, you know, significant moves, where they still need to go, uh, an overall assessment of the roster at this point. If you haven't had a chance to check out uh, the the online version of The Athletic, uh, you and Harm put a pretty good article together that uh, was posted late last night. You know, the, your Canucks offseason 3.0 that just goes through the depth chart again and, and talks about some of those moves. So we'll get into some of that now. Um, and, you know, as we look at this team and they still need to make some improvements. I mean, we did they improve up front? With Mikheyev, sure they did. You know, Curtis Lazar in the bottom six or in the fourth line as a center. Yeah, that you know, that, that's a good move. But we still know in terms of cap flexibility and prospects and all this stuff aside, the single biggest on-ice decision that needed to be made was improve your top four in the blue line, particularly on your right side. They haven't done that yet. And I think on some levels, they're probably counting on Tucker Pullman to be healthy so that he can help them in that area. But that's still the glaring area of need right now. And they've talked about assessing it via trade. Darren Drager reported they're still trying to circle back in that area. How realistic is that at this point? Well, I think it's going to be really hard without cap space. You know, that's the that's the issue, really, that I sort of have generally had or the concern that I've generally been talking about with the Canucks offseason, which is just, you know, because they've spent 
the vast majority of their money. And uh, their cap is basically committed for next season. You know, it's hard to make deals. If you have cap space, you can acquire John Marino, for example, as the New Jersey Devils did for a mid-round pick and, you know, a young NHL player who, by the way, hasn't performed very well, right? Like, like there are teams around the league that would prefer Jack Rathbone to Ty Smith. I'm not saying Jack Rathbone had more trade value. I think Ty Smith had the pedigree and has more NHL experience, but there are definitely teams that would have looked at Rathbone's superior skating and said, yeah, we like that guy better. We see that as a more projectable, projectable future NHL piece. So, you know, just goes to show you, right, what you can accomplish with cap space. If you have it, if you have it, you can buy, um, you can you can peruse the clearance bin, right? If you don't have it, you're paying retail every time. And that's sort of where the Canucks find themselves. You know, it's not impossible that they can find an answer on the blue line between now and the start of the regular season. Uh, they still probably have about a million and a bit, million three, million four, something like that in in cap flex that you could add to the roster. So you could go out and sign a Calvin DeHaan, for example. What? You can't but, get John Kling- Klingberg for that amount? I don't think so. But you, but you also can't just go out and acquire a guy who, you know, the for for you can't do your version of a Pacioretty trade or a Marino trade and just spend in a vacant cap space because the Canucks... Their cap space is spoken for. It's spoken for up front, and it's spoken for with a pair of players that I think are really good fits for how Bruce Boudreau wants to play and Curtis Lazar and and Ilya Mikhaev and how the Canucks want to play and the speed and sandpaper they were looking to add. But, you know, has to be noted, like these players were both playing bottom six roles, albeit on good teams, but bottom six roles last season. And that's where the Canucks elected to choose their uh, to spend their cap space or invest their cap space and. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I would say I'm not ready to carve the decision. I like both players. I think the fits are good. But I don't know if it was a higher leverage area for the Canucks to upgrade than the defense. I I mean, I just think that defense has there's a real chance that it holds them back in a meaningful way next season. And, and, you know, that concerns me. When you look at the decision to bring in McCabe and look, I I think we both. We like the signing in terms of his overall skill set. We're not necessarily sold on the signings because you still will have an offensive expectation when you get 4.75, whether he's shown that prior to last season or not. You, you just you can't score, you know, 13 goals and be considered good value no matter how fast you are and what else you do from a two-way perspective. There, so we're a little nervous about that. But overall, I think both of us agree that when you look at it on the relative need scale, that probably wasn't it. Um, but does that provide an indication of just how difficult they believe it's going to be to improve their back end, even via trade in a meaningful way that they said, look, let's just spend it elsewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a recognition that a lot of what the Canucks need to accomplish in the big picture, you know, is a longer term project, right? I think partly what we're seeing too, Farhan is, an indication of just how like and look we've we talked about this we talked about this a lot last year that the decisions that the Canucks had made to construct their roster right resulted in them building a team that was going to be difficult to disassemble right that the flexibility that the club had was limited right we talked about that a lot 
that a lot of the moves made were going to be intractable. And I think we saw that play out, right? Like it wasn't, it's not easy to change this team period because of the amount of cap committed and the, and the length of the deals and the quality of the players that are signed to those contracts. And I think that's what they came up against truly. Like, I think at the end of the day, they came up against, you know, low valuations, uh, big deals to move. And, um, I, I think it was harder to conduct business than they would have liked to, uh, or certainly the types of business, the type of business that they wanted to conduct. And so here we are, they're still waiting. Um, this is definitely going to be a multi-year project to renovate this blue line. It might be a five-year project to be totally honest with you, to get it, to get it to where think they really want it. Well, I, that, I mean, you've got two years left on Myers. You've got three years left on Pullman. You've got five years left on Ekman Larson. You know, I mean, it's th- this was n- this wasn't going to be accomplished in a single summer, right? It wasn't. But you know, the patience debate is an interesting one because while I think it's fair to be patient, you know, I would have applauded a really patient like steward off season, you know, and that's not really what the Canucks had because they did spend considerably on bottom six forwards in a way that I think for Canucks fans, they're like, ah, deja vu all over again. We've seen this organization do this time and time again. They never save cap space. They always spend it on, you know, uh, forwards from good teams, win now guys. And, you know, I I can understand why fans are looking at that and thinking, what's going on? What is the plan here? We don't get it. I don't really get it. Honestly, I don't. And so, you know, I, I just sort of look at the Canucks offseason and I think, hey, you know, they've they've found some players that I think fit with how they want to play, but it costs a lot and the opportunity cost is high because it limits what they can do elsewhere. Um, you know, I don't love and what, that. So what does that? Let's let's stay with that real quick. What does that say? You know, we talked about the Mikheyev signing and what that says about their ability or inability to move or to acquire along the blue line or to improve along the blue line. What does it say about them up front? Because I think the you know, the one concern everyone had uh, coming into free agencies. Yeah. You know, if you looked at the overall number, yes, the Canucks had a number they could use to improve. However, that improvement would come at a cost down the road. It has implications on what you can do with JT Miller. Maybe what you must do with Connor Garland. How does it impact um, Elias Pettersson in another two years when that contract, the bridge deal then becomes due, right? And he becomes the player we think he's going to be, you know, a potential top 10 guy that gets paid as such, right? So, you know, how problematic, and again, this is not a shot at the player, uh, but just the number. And every one of these puzzle pieces aren't just puzzle pieces for 22-23. When it's a four-year deal, it affects you beyond, right? So what does it say about what they're going to have to do beyond upfront? I mean... there's there's a lot to do like there's a lot to do I I also I still can't figure out you know we go through that depth chart exercise like I still can't figure out how these players fit together so true you know like I don't even I don't even get how it all fits and we sort of talked about it a little bit like you know who does Connor Garland have chemistry with it didn't really feel like he found natural chemistry with any of Vancouver's top three centermen right um you know, Besser's the only right winger that I think you're going to be comfortable playing in matchup minutes. Uh, Tanner Pearson's probably the only left winger you're going to feel comfortable playing in matchup minutes. So it's not like, you know, the Canucks have good you could forwards. could play McKay up there, couldn't you? 
Oh, sorry, and Mikhaev. Yeah, you hundred uh, percent. You can. Okay, play let's Mikhaev. get this right. Are we going to say Mikhaev or Mikhaev? Because both networks said it completely differently. Um, the TSN guys kept saying Mikhaev. The other guys kept saying Mikhaev. So which one is it? I, it's probably Mikhaev. I think. Okay, I'll take your word for it. We'll ask him. We'll ask him when he arrives. But the anyway. Yeah, so you've got two guys on left wing who can play matchup minutes. You've got one guy on right wing. Um, you know, I'm sure they feel like they can play any one of their th- top three centers in matchup minutes. But other than, you know, I mean, I think it's Horvat. And and I think, um, you know, Pedersen's had some good defensive moments and good defensive results. I think he can be that player. I don't know that he was. He has been that player before, but I think he will be that player. And, you know, JT Miller ha- held down matchup minutes for the club last season and and performed okay but i don't love his i i i'd like to see miller played in a more offensively calibrated role so you know i just i i it's it feels like this team has a lot of on paper talent and i'm not sure if the pieces fit so that it's more than the sum of its parts if that makes sense yeah, and that concerns me too that concerns me too you know i i mean you look at calgary in the wake of the Gaudreau departure right and you know, the Canucks, you'd hope, can catch Calgary next season based on the fact that they just lost a Hart Trophy candidate and there's massive uncertainty about what happens with Kachuk. But let's assume that the Kachuk situation gets sorted and he's back with the team. You know, their top seven forwards would be something like Kachuk, Mangiapane, Backlund, uh, Coleman, Lindholm, Toffoli, Dubé, right? And, you know, that sounds inferior to what the Canucks will roll out, right? Like, on paper, I think those seven names versus Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Miller, Garland, Mikhaev, and Pearson, like, I think you'd take Vancouver's group ahead of that on paper, but I don't know that Vancouver has guys who are as defensively reliable or as, like, high-end from a competitive standpoint as Manjipani, Coleman, Backland types, you know, Lindholm types, right? I mean, there's, um, I feel like Vancouver's players might be better. They, they, they are better on paper. You think they're more skilled and talented, but are they as good in the areas that translate to wins as Calgary's group? That's like a thing that I've been thinking about a lot when I look through this forward group. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying they can't be that, but I need to see that. Like, it's on them to be at that level, in my view. Can we digress for a quick minute? Sure. Before we go to break here, what the hell is going to happen in Calgary with three arbitration cases, including Kachuk, which was team determined? Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around how that is going to play out for a team that this year should have contended for the Cup. It's wild. But, you know, I do think the facility is a big problem there. Um, you know, and I think the fact that they don't have a player friendly coach necessarily, right? Daryl Sutter can be crabby uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, but again, I, you know, Kachuk was team elected. That's basically a death well, sentence. No, no, but it's a different type of team elected. It's the second window. So they're not seeking to cut back his salary, right? So the way that when Kachuk didn't file for arbitration, he essentially set uh, the flames on a course to have six days six days before he was going to accept his qualifying offer, right? He has to accept his qualifying offer by the 22nd of July. So there was a six-day window for the Flames to, you know, um, come to terms with him, or he'd take a one-year deal and and be walked to UFA, right? So they were under the gun. 
And the second club elected arbitration window allows them to kick that can down the road into like mid-July, right? Like buys them sure. like three weeks, yeah. three and a half weeks. They cannot reduce his salary. So this is not as aggressive a move as, as, the, first as, as the first one, which we were talking about and which ultimately drove that Besser settlement, right? It's not an aggressive shot across a player's bow in the same way. They're just opening up time to sort through this. That's what they really did here. Um, you know, I'm sure the player is not thrilled, but it's not the same nuclear option. It, it really is not from a negotiating and leverage standpoint, relationship management standpoint. This doesn't st stand out to me as a nuclear option the same way that we discussed the Besser one as. How's it going to play out there with all three? Like, I mean, this, this thing could implode in a hurry. Well, the Kachuk thing's crucial. You, you know, the thing about Calgary is if you end up bumping Andrew Mangiapane onto your top line, you know, not that he's Goudreau or going to trick anyone into thinking he is Goudreau, but like if you go Goudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk across the top, across your first line, that's still a top five line in the sport probably, right? It's not the best line in the sport like it was with Goudreau, but I mean, you know, behind the Matthews line, behind the McDavid line, um, you know, there's a few others, right? Like there's a few lines that you'd like better, but you know, it's still high end, like really high end, really high end in terms of the amount of compete, you know, Mangiapane, I know doesn't sort of garner that, like he doesn't have the name recognition, but he scored 35 goals last year. Like he's a top line caliber forward. Um, I think they're poised to manage Gaudreau's departure better than people think. So long as they keep Kachuk. And now it's looking like they won't keep Kachuk. And if you lose two elite wingers in one offseason, then you're in trouble. Like, that changes things considerably. I think that upsets. Right now, I would still say I like Calgary and Vegas at the top of the Pacific. And if Calgary can keep Kachuk, that's how I'm going to break it down. I'm going to say Vegas and Calgary are, in my opinion, the two best teams in the Pacific. But if they lose Kachuk... I, th I think Calgary is going to be in real tough to, to you know, I, I still think they'll probably be a wild card team, but they'll be in real, real tough to be one of the top three teams in the Pacific without uh, either of those players. Meanwhile, every Canuck fan quotes Jerry Seinfeld and says, that's a shame. Uh, well, yeah, although Vancouver now has the Miller thing, right? And, and yeah, one thing, sure. one, one thing I would note, one thing I would note, I've never heard, I've never heard that. Miller feels about Canada the way some people expect that he would, right? I've never heard that. I've never heard that he feels that way about Vancouver. I've always heard that he's got really good, good, close relationships with the other American-born players in Vancouver, in addition to guys like Miller and, uh, or sorry, like Horvat and Pearson and, and Myers. Um, I don't think Gaudreau's departure should alter the paradigm for teams like Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, right? Like, I don't think you need to worry too much if you're the Canucks about the example the Goudreau departure sets for, for your ability to retain American-born unrestricted free agents. Like, I don't think, you know, Vancouver's facility is completely different. Boudreau and Daryl Sutter have a very different reputation among players, right? There's an awful lot that I don't think is analogous and so I would caution people from freaking out, whether it's about Miller in Vancouver or Matthews in Toronto, uh, looking at the Gaudreau template and thinking, oh, that's going to happen here. Like, I don't think that's the case in, in for Vancouver with Miller. I certainly don't think it's the case with Toronto and Matthews. 
I, I think that was a unique set of circumstances, um, you know, connected to everything from the coach, uh, you know, the cold prairie town, the the league worst facilities. You know, it, it Calgary was in tough in a different way than the Canucks are. You know, the Goudreau thing, Drancer, really is a unique one. Because when was the last time we've heard that, that an American player was dying to get back to the States? And look, we've said this. We talked about this with Juice, right? Um, not necessarily as it relates to Canada, U.S. specifically, but just... <laughs> Juice's, you know, Juice's Miller is Kessler argument will stick with me for a long time. No, but it took a while for Kessler to get there, right? And so, you know, my point was it was kind of like the baseball analogy. Everybody wants to play for the Yankees once. Right. Like they all want to see what sure, it feels like sure. to be in pinstripes and be that guy once. And then after a while, you're like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. And every American player at some but, point. But Kessler, Kessler signed here. Right. I mean, Kessler's a perfect example because he signed the six year deal. No, but eventually it wasn't America, Canada. Yeah, the scrutiny was a problem, but it was also where the club was clearly headed. And Kessler didn't want to be part of it in 2014 of getting into a rebuild situation. He wasn't the Sedins, you know, as, as a grumpy temperament guy, you know, with the rebuild comes a lot of scrutiny and he wanted to move on from that. He'd had just about enough. Um, yeah. So, you know, and you can maybe just say, look, it's the same thing. I mean, the one biggest difference between the two is that in one place they care. and That means a lot of scrutiny of, you know, I, and I don't know if it's simply the care meter or if it's simply you know, wanting to get back to warmer climates all winter or whatever. I got, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I think the scrutiny eventually got to him. I'm not sure that has anything to do with this in in um, Matthew Kachuk's case. Maybe it did in Johnny Gaudreau's case to a point, right? The fact that he actually took meaningfully less to not go back home, even though he said that was the argument, right? Like when he said family reasons, everyone assumed Northeast and it didn't happen that way. So it was a lot more than that. Whereas you look at a guy like Matthew Kachuk, he is wired to deal with any level of scrutiny and say "f you" right back. You, do you know what I mean? Like he's a guy that's got such thick skin that you wouldn't think that's any kind of a factor right now. If he thought the team was headed in the right direction, if the facilities were there, you know. And when you look at the number of Americans that have come through this team, you didn't look at any of them and, and feel like they were anxious to get back right out of the gate. It was slightly different circumstances around Kessler, although, like I said, the comparisons aren't aren't that far off in terms of just attitude and approach. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a good point. Look, the Miller the Miller thing, I mean I think at this point it's at this point you sometimes you have to look at actions rather than words, right? You have to look at actions rather than reports. And for me the fact that the team has held Miller for this long to this point makes me feel strongly just cuz I can't get another like, there's no read on this that will suggest to me anything other than that Holding Miller to this point in the offseason suggests that the organization's preference, it, it, you know, strongly is to resign him rather than deal him. Right? I mean, that's the only that's the only set, that's the only logical conclusion I think you can reach at this juncture. And so, you know, I wonder if the bet here and part of the patience that the organization is trying to show, at least as they see it, is. You know, you update the locker room facilities, right? You extend Horvat. You come in. You have a full training camp with Boudreaux. You play center. You're, you know, playing big minutes in all situations. You hope that it's fun. You believe that the management, you know, group can improve internal communication and the player experience. And the twins are around. And it's a different, 
vibe than it has been in the past. And you bet on your organization, you bet on yourself as, as a management team to be able to administer this differently enough that you're able to convince them to stay on a deal that makes sense for the team. That, that to me has to be the bet at this point. Like I, nothing else really makes sense to me to explain the club's passive approach in this circumstance. So you're expecting to see JT Miller resign? No, I'm expecting to see him at training camp. We'll see if he resigns. Well, fair enough. Um, you know, let- like, I mean, I mean, I think the the fact is, is that it'll come down to a- absolute numbers, right? Like, here's the, here's the thing, right? Is from a trade value perspective, Miller's value will not go up between now and the trade deadline. In fact, every day, now, we're now in a zone after July 15th or so that every day that passes JT Miller's trade value probably goes down. Absolutely. Because, because the... Um, well, it already has because teams have already, I mean, there's 18 teams within 5 million of the cap, right? I mean, there's fewer and fewer landing spots. There's fewer places that make sense as a trade partner. There's less demand. Matthew Kachuk might now be on the market, you know, on and on. Go down the list, right? So from a trade value perspective, the goal is to maximize a JT Miller return. The club has played this terribly. And I don't think that Rutherford and Alvin are new on the block. Like, I don't think they're unwise to that. In fact, I know they're not. There's a reason they tried to extend him at the draft, right? There's a reason um, there's been, he's been, you know, caught up in so many rumors, right? Like they know this, they know this. Uh, The fact that they're taking a different tack and the fact that I'm assuming that they're competent tells me a lot, speaks volumes to me about where they think time maybe favors them. And, you know, if you come back, the team is performs well for the first time in a few years. The facilities are revamped in a major way, right? Um, Maybe it looks different to a player. Maybe it looks different to a player. And maybe that player doesn't repeat his 99-point pace, right? Maybe all of a sudden his his, uh, leverage diminishes. Maybe maybe his desire to sign a deal off of, you know, his huge season last year causes him to be a little more willing to compromise before the season gets underway, right? Doesn't want to risk injury, right? Like, if you're being patient and waiting out the trade market, you're incompetent. That is that is the they, that is the thinnest window. That is the the thinnest needle they're trying to thread. Totally. If, if totally. that's what they but think, I, get him to camp, good facility, and we'll get him signed. You know, we'll get him signed early. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is a th- well, that is a narrow needle, buddy. You're playing chicken. Well, here's the thing, though. If you're if you think you can be patient and wait for the trade market to deliver more than it has to this point, you're wrong. You're incompetent. I don't believe that Rutherford and Alvin are incompetent. So I think they must be trying to wait out Miller. That's my logic here. And I don't think yeah, that's I just I think right? the trade market has pushed them into no other option than to attempt to wait them out and hope for the best. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's true. I mean, I do think I do think Miller's trade value was perhaps a little more complicated than they'd expected. You know? Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I, I mean, I think there were teams that were skeptical for a variety of reasons and so it goes let's uh let's go through the re- the roster or the depth chart as it were that you guys put together let's start on left wing and, and i'll go through all the forward positions before we dive into them uh one by one so let's go tanner pearson uh mikhaev mikhaev whatever we're calling him we'll find out soon enough kuzmenko hoaglander and joshua as the top five in that order and you said you said you could flip the top two i would probably also switch um dakota joshua and sheldon dries if I could do this again. So Dries, I would put it left wing because I think at the NHL level anyway, the team views him more as a winger than a center. 
And I think Dakota Joshua might actually get a shot. Like I think if Lazar or if there's a center injury, um, I think Dickinson, Joshua are kind of the next guys up. So Joshua to me, I, I would probably relist as a center if we could do this again. And and Dries, I would list on the wing. Gotcha. So let's do that for our purposes. So we've got Dries on the wing as the fifth. Uh, and then we'll put Joshua in our center group, which includes Elias Pettersson, Horvat, Miller, Lazar, Dickinson, and then center number six ahead of Carlson would be Joshua. Uh, then on the right side, where it's a little thinner, but still certainly some quality in the top three with Besser, Garland, Pod Colson, Lockwood as the fourth, and Klimovich as the fifth. We don't really see uh, as an op- opening night option. Maybe he gets a couple games later in the no. year. Certainly they've got some... I- I don't think Klimovich should play a single NHL game next year. Like at the end of the day, by the time the AHL playoffs uh, came around, he was a scratch and he was a scratch in favor of a defenseman playing right wing. And the coach who made those decisions got promoted. So the organization doesn't think that that was a poor decision, right? Which tells you a lot about where Klimovich is, right? This guy needs to work on his pro awareness. He's got all the tools to be an NHL player, but he was too young to play in the American League last year. I'm sure if the team could take a mulligan and send him to the CHL, they, they probably would have. And, you know, if he, like his goal, the organization's goal for this player should be, is an everyday fixture in the top nine and is productive in that role next season. Do not bring him up. He's not ready. He's not ready. The club should sign an additional right wing um, to, to provide some additional depth. I, I guess Dries could be an option there too. But yeah, I mean, Klimovich should not be counted on to play NHL games. The organization should take a patient approach unless he absolutely knocks the door down. Um, The club should leave him in the American League, let him settle in, let him be productive there if he's able to. It might even be too big an ask. It might even be too big an ask. And knowing that Dries is an organizational depth piece, he's not somebody anybody's considering to be an opening night roster fixture, certainly not in the top 12. That takes. He He can make a case, man. I think Dries. I like Dries a lot. I think Dries is a player. Uh, Dries okay. could surprise you. Dries could surprise you. Yeah, you'd have to surprise me a lot uh, to be to be more than a very good depth piece that we see play, you know, 15 games during the season. But um, with that in mind, let's if, if we were to gauge forwards 13, 14, and 15 based on current setup, um, that would mean guys like Joshua, Dickinson, and Dries would probably be after that if it was today. Right, like yeah, and, and Lockwood and Lockwood. Yeah, okay. I've like I've got him on the right wing as a fourth line guy. Um, mm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if we'll see. Like, if I was handicapping it today, I'd be like Dickinson left wing, Lazar center, Hoaglander right wing. Is is my like is my like inside track to be with the who is your with who is your fourth, fourth left winger then? Yeah, uh, Dickinson. Oh, sorry. Yeah, with Dickinson. Okay, so so that would be my that would be my that would be my inside track as of today. Okay, so so then Lockwood Lockwood is the thirteenth guy, uh, if it was if it was today, right? Yeah, uh, along with yeah, Joshua, one one of Lockwood, Joshua them, drives, and I'd see them try and bring in another. Like I think they should bring in another guy to try and bump Dickinson to the thirteenth forward spot. Um, How do you and, do and, that at two point five million? Well, you can easily sign a seven hundred fifty. You could bring in probably like, I mean, you could bring in Alex Chase on or Brad Richardson or someone like that. No, no. My, my point is with Dickinson, given his salary, how reluctant would the club be to make him put him in a situation where he's not an everyday NHL player? Oh, I mean, I, I just don't think you can care. You can't afford to care. 
you know, Dickinson, Dickinson should be traded like a 750K guy. He's coming to compete. And you're hopeful that he delivers to some extent on his salary, but uh, that ship has sailed based on his first season in Vancouver. Yes, yeah. Um, For me, I would try to reclaim that value and do everything you could to make him an everyday player. Well, they will. They will. But you can't can't shoehorn it in. He needs to knock that door down now. Like he does. Because at the end of the day, too, at the end of the day, too, if he's reassigned, then you have two and like if if you want to go out and sign a two point four million dollar piece with the plan to waive Dickinson, you could do that without clearing cap space. Like you can sign a two and a half million dollar player responsibly today if your plan is to reassign Jason Dickinson. Well, there's value there. There's value in that. You know, then like, you've got I'm to commit s- to that decision for a full year for sure. And I'm not I'm not willing to do that. But would I bring in a PTO guy and keep my eye on him? You know, like if. Uh, if a Calvin DeHaan remains unsigned or, I mean, I don't know, there's so much talent left on the free agent market, but like, you know, uh, let, let me, let me like think about who's an unrestricted free agent who might cost 2 million. Calvin DeHaan is sort of like my, my clubhouse leader right now. Cause he can play the right side on defense. But you know, if it's, um, you know, a Michael Kempney or, um, uh, you know, a Robert Hag type, you know, maybe Chris Russell, like I'd bring a guy like that to training camp and I'd make Dickinson show me. I maybe Tyler Mott. Hell, Tyler Mott. I'd bring a guy like that to training camp if they remained unsigned, which feels likely considering all the talent available still on the market. I'd I'd bring a guy like that to camp and I'd make Dickinson show me that he deserves to be in the lineup. And if he can't do that, then I'd sign a guy. Incredible I'd Tyler Mott still available. Incredible. Danton Heinen. Denton Heinen's another one who would sort of meet that, meet my specifications here. But you see what I'm saying? Like a guy who's not going to sign a vet minimum deal necessarily, or a guy who wants to audition for a larger role. Like you could bring that guy to camp and make your decision based off of the cap flexibility that you have with Dickinson. You just keep the player in the loop, right? I I mean, there's, there's guys I think that would warrant that type of risk. Uh, PK is there, is there, is there a world where you could keep a portion of Dickinson's salary and trade him to Rick bonus in Winnipeg who he had his greatest successes under? Oh, uh, maybe, maybe if you take money back, but you'd have to take money back. And so, no, that's what I said. Like if you could keep a portion of his salary. Yeah. And, but then also take, you don't, you'd have to do both though. I think really you'd have to, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's look, look, you have to, you have to pay to get off of uh max patch ready, man. You know, yeah, like I guess so. The, but like, you take six hundred, you, you take six hundred thousand dollars of that you have to salary. Twenty five cents on the dollar to acquire John Marino. Yeah, it's different. Like that's that's the world now. That's just the world that teams live in. Um. So yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't know. Winnipeg, Winnipeg doesn't have like a ton of bad salary, but um, you know, maybe uh, maybe if they want to move some money off of their defense core, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. I just don't see. I don't see where the money that Winnipeg would want to send out is uh, they have 14 million in cap space with Dubois and Appleton still to do. I mean, sure. Maybe look, if Rick bonus was interested and you'd retain half, I mean, I'd consider that for sure. Um, real quick. Uh, I do want to touch on the defense because uh, I, I, I know we're going to make uh, this episode a little bit shorter, but um, Tucker Pullman, where are we at on him? I mean, I, I read what you guys wrote that there's still a lot of optimism, but if he's healthy and available and capable, is he instantly your second right winger or your second right D I should say? No, I don't think so. I want to see, I think, I think you still roll. I mean, I, it's tough. Like, I don't know. I don't exactly know how this all fits. I wonder if you might see something like 
Hughes, Ekman, Larson, um, Dermot, Myers, and then Jack Rathbone and or Kyle Burrows with, with Tucker Pullman, right? Um, I wonder if we'd see something like that or could see something like that. Uh, I also, yeah, I mean, I think the fact is, is that there's no, there's no right answer. You know, Tucker Pullman, we know, doesn't really work with Quinn Hughes. I think Tucker Pullman's a really good defensive piece, but his puck handling makes him something of, um, uh, uh, like he takes a few things off the table offensively. And we saw it a lot with, with Hughes, like Hughes needs you to be able to maintain possession at a level that I don't know that Pullman's really capable of. So I think it's a bad fit, even though in your mind's eye, mobile defense first righty, perfect for Quinn. You know, I just don't know that Pullman's puck handling's quite at that level. I just don't think that it's a good fit. It wasn't a good fit early in the season. And I like Pullman's game a lot better when he moved further down the defense, you know, depth chart. Um, I think I, I like the idea of a Dermot Pullman third pair. I like the idea of Pullman with Rathbone. Uh, I don't like, I, you know, I don't hate the idea of him playing with Ekman Larson. Um, and maybe you go Myers Rathbone with, with obviously Myers playing more minutes than that third pair assignment suggests, right? You can tweak things as the game goes on, depending on the score that those would be sort of formulations that I like uh, Pullman Hughes Pullman is top four guy. Um, you know, I'm okay with it. If it's with Ekman Larson in a shutdown role, I don't like it when Pullman runs as a caddy for Hughes. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before, and it, like my gut still tells me they're going to wind up with Luke Shen there for large minutes of the season, but we'll see. Agreed. Agreed. We'll see where it goes. Listen, uh, it is time for us to run. Uh, sure, you know, it's a summertime, so a little short version because I know Drancer wants to get to the beach. He's got a speedo ready to go. Um, <laughs> but uh, if, you're looking, if you're looking for more pot options, Johnny Hockey, Johnny Gaudreau of the Columbus Blue Jackets joins Craig Custins and Sean Gentilly on the season finale of the Athletic Hockey Show uh, Tuesday, Boys USA edition. Uh, Johnny Hockey, you know, the suburb of New Jersey, right? Like it, it, just going to Columbus, that should work for him. Uh, as for us, um, this is our only episode of this week. We will have one next week and then take our summer vacation at that point before we launch just before training camp. So we'd like to thank all of you for listening to this week's edition of the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. And of course, yes, you know, we, we understand we are going to take some time in August, but but whenever there's important news, we'll absolutely have bonus episodes of the show so that you're always going to hear fresh, important Canucks news to comment on. So thanks for listening, and we will talk again next week.